Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Our scripture reading today comes from Psalm 118, verses 1 through 2 and 14 through 17. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. There are glad songs of victory in the tents of the righteous. The the right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Emma. It's a big day for Emma Wright, as we should do. Thank you, sir. In an uh, Easter Sunday service, Emma will be baptized at the conclusion of our message today. And uh, looking forward to that. This is the point at which I need to say a big thank you to all of you who have helped to make this week possible. I don't know if you know this, but there are a lot of folks who work behind the scenes to make Thursday night happen. We had a great Monday Thursday service. It was, it was different this year. We did it out in the, in the atrium, and Jason Smith did a great job officiating that service. And then Friday night, we had the Tenebrae service when the sanctuary was completely draped in darkness. And uh, the choir did a fantastic job, and Tamara and all of our musical staff did a fantastic job in helping us to re-narrate this story. You've heard me say it before, and hear me say it again. I think the bright lights of Easter Sunday morning are brighter when you allow yourself to see the darkness of Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I think when we skip too quickly to Easter Sunday morning, we miss a lot in the process. And then there are a whole bunch of you that showed up on Saturday to help clean everything around here. Very appreciative to all of you who did all of that. Dr. Tashton did a fantastic job this morning, and the entire Word and Table congregation had our our sunrise service this morning, just did a great job. And now for the music and all that went into this service and the decorating of the sanctuary, thank you all very much. If you've got somebody seated nearby, and you probably do, it'd be a good idea for you just to offer up a round of applause for their help this week in getting everything ready for this week. And so we kick off another sermon series here at OKC First entitled, Name That Tune. Now, how many of you remember a show by the same name, Uh, Name That Tune? Okay. None of you are 15 or below. Okay, here's the thing. This was a game show, and I put a little blurb about this in your worship folder. It was actually a game show, several different iterations of a game show that spanned several different decades, actually. And and I'm going to use it to do a sermon series on the Psalms. The Easter season, we're going to take a psalm every week, and we are going to try to allow that psalm to speak into our lives and to show us that there is something that resonates about each one of these psalms like there is today in Psalm 118. But I want to talk to you a little bit about this game show. Name that tune. Uh, This is, uh, you like that graphic? I did that just for you all today. 
you had a couple of different iterations of the, the game, and, and there were a couple of different stages in the game. You'd have this uh, bid a note thing happening there on the left when contestants would come and they would glare at one another, it seems like. I'm about to show you a clip. You'll see what I mean, right? Contestants would come up and they'd say, Sandy, I can name that tune in six notes. And then Sandy would say, Wash, I can name that tune in four notes. And eventually it got really sinister and somebody would say, well, why don't you just go ahead and name that tune? We're going to do that in church too. That'll be fun when we do something like that. And then there is the golden medley. At the very end of the show, the sort of the championship round, somebody would get up and they would have 30 seconds and they had to name off these seven or eight songs. And if they did, they won huge money, like dozens of dollars and stuff like that. So it was really cool and we'll do a little bit of that. Take a look at this, see if this uh, helps you to remember what we're talking about here. I'll read clues to well-known tunes, then you'll bid against each other as to how few notes it'll take you to name that tune. The first player to score three tunes wins 20 points and a great prize. In this case, you need it to tie it up. Uh, Wash, here is your first clue. Introduced as the title tune of a 30s Broadway musical, this tune later appeared in the film Young Frankenstein and was revived in 1984. You won the last round, so you start. Sandy? Look how mean. Wash, I can name that tune in six notes. <laughs> Sandy? I can name that tune in four notes. The pension bills. Wash, I can name that tune in three notes. Sandy? Name that tune. All right, Sandy, you get a chance to name the tune. Here's your clue once again. Introduced as the title tune of a 30s Broadway musical, this tune later appeared in the film Young Frankenstein and was revived in 1984. Listen carefully. Here are your three notes. Sandy? The oh, I'm sorry. Putting on the Ritz. Put <laughs> and I was afraid after watching this that I would read later that they had some sort of a knife fight in the hallway or something like that, but apparently they did and it was okay. But that's kind of what we're going to do. And, and, and here's the reason I bring this up today in particular. I think that we struggle to know what to do with the resurrection. I think we struggle to know really what to do with Easter Sunday. And, and so I think we can actually get some help from a psalm, like Psalm 118. It will help us to know how to think about the resurrection. It will help us to know how to think about Easter Sunday. Most importantly, it will help us to know how to live in the light of the resurrection because I think we struggle struggle to know what to do with Easter Sunday really we celebrate it and we buy new clothes for it and you all look great by the way right so we know that there are those kinds of things that we do but for most people the cross has way more significance than the empty tomb do you remember the movie a while back the passion of the Christ remember that it was meaningful and important, and there was so much about it that was so, so good. But do you remember how much time the resurrection got at the very end? Like 11 seconds. <laughs> I mean, you had this, this terrible and horrifying, agonizing um, butchering of Jesus and all of the torture and all of humiliation. And I don't wish that somehow we would lessen the impact of all of that. I just wish that we knew what to do with the resurrection. The movie didn't know what to do with it either. Jesus sort of sits up like that, and then he, he smiles, and he stands up and he walks out, and almost immediately, you stood up and walked out of the theater. So what do we do with this resurrection? 
What, what happens in the resurrection that changes anything? Does anything change with the resurrection? Hear this again. If you've been here at OKC first, you've heard me say this. If you're new, hear this. The empty tomb makes the cross make sense. Lots of people died on crosses. Lots of people died on crosses. The Romans knew how to do this to Jesus because they did it so often. Lots of people died on crosses. The cross is important and it's significant, but it's the resurrection that tells us how significant the cross actually was. The resurrection, the empty tomb, makes the cross. It's not the other way around. Tim Fain and I agree about this. That's the only one, though, that I could tell so far. So I'm going to give you another shot at it. Hear this again. We have got to figure out how to be resurrection people because it is true that the empty tomb makes the cross, not the other way around. Ready? Yes. yes, much better. But how do we think about the resurrection? What happens on Easter Sunday morning? How does life change? Well, like I said, I think we can actually find some help in Passover. I think we can find some help in that story that Passover is meant to retell and help us to remember, and that is the Exodus. Now, we have actually made this a theme this Holy Week. Jason did quite a bit of this. Yes, you can all vote for which image of the Exodus that you really, some of you are from the generation that understands Charlton Heston as Moses. Just lean into that, that's great. But there are a lot of us who are from the Prince of Egypt generation. <laughs> And so what you have there is Moses, and then you have the Prince of Egypt, and then this moving picture here at the bottom is how the Prince of Egypt movie helped us to understand the Passover, that terrible, terrible night when this death angel, in some sense, moved through and took the firstborn sons of all who were not protected by the blood of the Lamb. In this last plague, now hear this, it's important. In this last plague, God finally seems to have wrestled Pharaoh to the ground. God finally seems to have been able to break Pharaoh's grip on God's people. This seems to have finally gotten through to Pharaoh, that it was up against something larger than him. And though he would still chase them, Although he would still chase and, and find himself at the bottom of the Red Sea, this seems to be the point at which God said, no, these people that you have in captivity, these people are mine, and I will do what I need to do to free these people and allow them to have a brand new day, a brand new hope, a brand new future. Okay, this is super important. Hear this. We work really hard to keep alive the memory of the Passover, to keep alive the memory of the Exodus, because as we keep alive the memory of the Exodus, and as we keep alive the memory of Passover, it helps us to know just exactly what happens in the cross and in the resurrection. In some sense, we're able to say this, God is at it again. God is at it again. The God who performed the Exodus, the God who was the, the Lord of all Passover, this God is at it again. He is up to something. He is up to the liberating of his people, and he is up to wrestling to the ground his chief competitor and rival. God in Christ, in the cross, and in the resurrection, is doing it again. And so, 
Psalm 118. It's actually the sixth of six psalms that are typically read or chanted or sung at your typical Passover service, your Seder Supper. Jason and Brandon went to a Seder Supper to do a little reconnaissance for us this year to make sure that we were telling the truth. <laughs> Come to find out we are. It's really good. But Psalm 118 would have been read or chanted or sung at a Seder Supper, a Passover meal, to recall the memory of the Exodus so as to say to the people of God, God can do these things. God can overpower pharaohs of all kinds. God can do these things. God can break people out of captivity. God can break the grip of whoever it is or whatever it is that is holding you captive. God can do these things. God can still do these things. And so we have this Seder meal. We have this Passover meal. So as to say to one another, whatever deathly situations confront us today, we know we serve a God who has done it before. We know we serve a God who can do it again. These deathly situations will not, they cannot, and they will not have the last word so long as the God who toppled Pharaoh is still toppling Pharaoh's. So, here's what happened. After toppling Pharaoh, God seems to have drawn his bead, drawn a target around other enemies. Sin and death. Now hear this. It has long been the belief of Christians that God created a good creation. So every once in a while, a, a beautiful young person will come to me and will say, well then, Pastor John, who created death? And who created evil? And I like to kneel down in front of them and take their hands in mine and say, we've talked about this. You only ask Pastor Lisa those questions. It is our belief that God created a good creation. Amen? God saw fit to create man in his own image. Mankind saw fit to warp the gift of God and to introduce sin and death into the equation. So far, so good? Mankind warped the gift of life. Mankind warped the opportunity to choose Mankind chose self and sin over the gift of life. And so mankind brought in sin and death. Now, how this works for sure, I'm not so sure. But I do see that sin and death seem so often to be two sides of the same coin. Do you see that? Sin, choosing myself, choosing to grip my own life so tightly that I have to do whatever I have to do to you to preserve my life, that ushers in a kind of death or a deathliness to my situation. You can probably see it uh, most clearly, let's say, in Rwanda 20 years ago, actually 20 years ago this year. The Hutus and the Tutsis fought, fought for life. They did whatever they had to do to preserve their own lives. Their own tribe was trying to preserve their own lives. And if that meant they had to kill this act of genocide, if it meant that they had to kill everyone else, then that's what it meant. Can you see when choosing myself, can you see how often choosing myself brings about death or deathly situations? 
Now it's just not about murder, though, is it? When I cling too tightly to myself, mine, or my own, because I don't trust God to be the giver of good gifts where life is concerned, when I feel like I have to fight for my life, when I feel like with my every move I, had to, I have to preserve my own opportunity to live, and I do so at the exclusion of everyone else, then I introduce into that circumstance wherever I am a deathly situation. Have you ever seen a marriage die? Have you ever seen a relationship die? Have you ever seen someone get to the point where he or she decided to choose himself or herself as opposed to the other? If, if you're about to get married, here's some free advice. If in a marriage situation, you consistently and chronically choose yourself over your spouse, your marriage is in jeopardy, and I'll see you in my office at some point. <laughs> Sin and death and deathliness perhaps are two sides of the same coin. Now, if you hear Paul, if you want to listen to Paul, Paul says, we all face death because we all sin, trapped as we are by the tradition of Adam. Because we're all sons and daughters of Adam, we're stuck. Because we're all sons and daughters of Adam, we're all doomed to sin. And because we're all doomed to sin, we're all doomed to die. And sure enough, look around. There are people who so fear death that they sin. Oh, hear this, hear this. You can see it in the murderer who so fears death that he murders. Perhaps you can even see it in the thief who so fears not having enough that he or she steals from everyone else and introduces a deathly situation there. But you can see it in the smaller arenas of life as well. When we choose ourselves, oftentimes it's because we fear that life is not a gift we fear that life is not a gift, and when life's not a gift, then you better get all you can as fast as you can, no matter what. Amen? Sure. When life's not a gift, then it's a contest. When life is not a gift, it's a contest. And when it's a contest, you have winners and losers. And most of us recognize that if we don't lose, we win. And if we don't win, we lose. And so there are deathly situations all around us. Deathly situations because so many people walking around the planet now do not understand life as a gift. They do not understand that God is the author of all of life. They understand life as a finite sort of thing, a finite resource, and I have to grab all that I can as quickly as I can. And in so doing, here again, they introduce death to a situation. It seems that the author or the soloist here in Psalm 118 was in a deathly situation. In a deathly situation until God intervened as only God can do and snatched victory from the jaws of defeat brought life when there was certain death or deathly situations. Psalm 118, 1, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures 
forever. Now, this is a congregational sort of song. Here's what we think happened. We think that there was a soloist who would have, who would have somehow survived a, a terrible ordeal, perhaps a military ordeal, when he was just sure that he was going to die, but God somehow intervenes and, and grants life when there should have been death. And so he is coming back to the temple now to sing along with the people of God the songs that help us to all remember that our God is faithful and still fighting for us. His steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is my strength and my might. And it doesn't say that he has brought me salvation, does it? It doesn't say that he has brought me salvation. It says he has become my salvation. This is much more relational than that God has just done something for me. God hasn't, hasn't just given me a gift. God has given me of himself. He has become, in and of himself, he has become my salvation. There are glad songs of victory in the tents of the righteous. Now, this verse is borrowed from the Exodus story. This is how we know it was connected to that old Exodus story. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. And it's at this point that our rescued military leader is starting to understand that God can do some things for me in my life that I can never do for myself, grasping at life that I might be. And so God says, before we get to 21, look there in verse 17. I will never die, but I will live and recount the deeds of the Lord. Legend has it that this is Martin Luther's favorite verse. Psalm 118, verse 117. I will never die, but I will live and recount the deeds of the Lord. Let's stop right there. If you have your scripture, or if you have your worship folder, I want you to look at Psalm 118, 117. I will never die, but I will live and recount the deeds of the Lord. This is the point at this song, when this singer recognizes that life is a gift from the hands of God, not to be clutched too tightly, because to clutch this life too tightly is to choke the life out of it. So this singer understands right here, right now, that life is a gift. And because life is a gift, and God is the giver and the author of this gift, this person can sing right out loud. Now, hear this audacity. <laughs> I will never die, but I will live Or do we understand life to be something that we have to gather as quickly as we can and as much as we can so as to fend off and stave off death as long as we possibly can? <laughs> if there is anything in us, in me or in you, that is like the person who has to gather, accumulate as much life as I possibly can, accumulate as much stuff as I possibly can, if there's anything in you or in me that sees fit, to hurt or demean or diminish the other so that I can have as much life as I can possibly get and you still come to church, then you're a cross person that doesn't yet understand the value of Easter.
that you and I no longer have to live under the threat of death. What if you did not live afraid to die? What if you did not live afraid that you would not have enough to preserve your life? Think, think with me, people. What if you did not live afraid to die? What if you did not live accumulating all the resources that you could accumulate to fend off or stave off death as long as possible? What if you didn't live like that? What if you lived every moment of every day in the light of the resurrection, understanding that in Christ, God has overcome death itself? What if you lived your life as if it was a gift to which you could respond with your life? In other words, what if we moved beyond being just cross people and moved into being empty tomb people? The psalmist reiterates, and now, in our tradition, we're happy to put this song in Jesus' mouth. I thank you that you have answered me and become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. In other words, I know the rest of the planet lives a certain way. And because the rest of the planet lives a certain way, they rejected Jesus like they rejected the people of Israel. They thought they understood how the world would spin. They thought they understood how life really was, how life really worked. And in that life out there, beyond the walls... They are, in fact, busy accumulating as quickly as they can, as many resources as they can, because they fear death. And because they fear death, typically they sin. And in their sinning, they cast this Jesus aside. But this Jesus that they cast aside, as testified to in the, in the New Testament, in Matthew, and Mark, and Luke, and Acts, and 1 Peter, they all draw from this verse to say this, that one that they cast aside so flippantly, that one that they cast aside because they feared death, that one they cast aside because they felt like they had to gather for themselves as much power, as much wealth, as much life as they could, but to fend off death as, as long as they possibly could, that one that they cast aside in that process is the author and the essence of life itself. And we have become a people built, built on this particular cornerstone or capstone that life is a gift from God not to be clutched so tightly that you use it to beat somebody else. What if you lived your life as if it were a gift from God? This is the Lord's doing. Only God could have done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes, and I love this. You've probably heard this song, and I asked Brendan to sing it, and he said no. <laughs> that's not true, really. That's not true. Uh, he's not going to sing it, but he didn't really say no. Okay. I love this. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. But I found two different translations that said this. This is the day that the Lord acted. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, hear this. We are saying more than that God created this day. I'm happy to say that, right? God creates all the days. I, I like that, right? But this is saying more than that. What this is saying is because God has done what God has done, 
there is a possibility for life now that didn't exist before. And so you and I have this day, but not just because of the cross, but because of the cross and the empty tomb. We have this day, and in this day we can live as if life were a gift as opposed to life being a contest. How many of you are tired of the contest? (laughs) How many of you are tired of fearing death? How many of you know that because you fear death, because you do not yet know that life is a gift, how many of you know that you are chronically human and normal and have the tendency to sin and choose self, me, mine, and my own over selfless, sacrificial love because you are more thoroughly convinced by the contest than the gift? But on Easter Sunday, what we say to one another, because we need the reminding, and we say to anyone who passes by and listens, what we say is, this is the day that the Lord moved. The God who moved in the exodus, the God who moved in the exile and bringing people back from the exile, the God who moved in bringing Christ back from the dead, still moves in deathly situations, returning life where we fully expected death. Do you know that your life is a gift that you do not have to clutch too tightly? Do you know that if you clutch it too tightly, you have the awful tendency, the human tendency to sin because you will choose me, mine, and my own over selfless, sacrificial love, which actually is the essence of life with God. Twenty years ago, there was genocide in Rwanda. All that war between the Hutus and the Tutsis. Twenty years ago. There's a photographer there now taking pictures of a miraculous process. The new government in Rwanda has said to people in prison, in prison because they've committed some of these atrocities, they have killed and they have maimed, literally, and they have stolen, they have looted because they have done all of these things. The the new leadership in Rwanda has said this, we'll let you out if you'll apologize to those you have wronged and be reconciled. And there are people who are saying, I will. There are people in prison who, will, who are saying, I don't want to be the kind of person who is so often locked up to do these kinds of, who, for having done these kinds of things, and so I want to be a part of this reconciliation process. It's amazing. It's amazing. Here's what's happening. In a situation where it can, where it can be so, so clearly seen that sin and death are always partnered together, Hutus and the Tutsis, at least once in a while, are choosing to see life as a gift as opposed to a contest, like they did 20 years ago. And I'm going to put up on the website this uh, other website that allow you to not only see the pictures that these photographers are taking, 
but also allow you to read the stories. But I want you to at least see this one. I want you to hear this story. Dominique is the perpetrator on the left, and Cancilda is the survivor on the right. The perpetrator said, the day I thought of asking pardon, I felt unburdened and relieved. I had lost my humanity because of the crime I committed, but now I am like any human being. The woman on the right said, after I was chased from my village and Dominique and others looted it, I became homeless and insane. Later, when he asked my pardon, I said, I have nothing to feed my children. Are you going to help raise my children? Are you going to build a house for them? The next week, Dominique came with survivors and former prisoners who perpetrated genocide. There were more than 50 of them, and they built my family a house. Ever since then, I've started to feel better. I was like a dry stick, but now I feel peaceful in my heart, and I share this peace with my neighbors. Because sin and death enemies that they are to the life and the dream of God are defeated in Christ. And some of you, some of you will live and benefit from the light of the resurrection and life is a gift, but not all. Some will insist that life is still a contest and we will try our best to Christianize it, but really what we'll be doing is we'll be trying to load Christian labels on top of this old, sick way of doing life that sees life as a contest, a, a contest that has to do with accumulation and gathering and fending off and staving off death as long as I possibly can. But there are some of you, there are some of you who will be baptized who will be identified with the death of Christ, but then also identified with the life of Christ, the very new way of living and being alive. When we baptize, we baptize into this new way of being alive. Along with Christ, along with Christ, you have died out to death, but you are also raised with Christ and given the opportunity to live, to live, Life is a gift. And so, Mike, are you back there with Emma? I hope so. Mike, Emma? <laughs> um, Toby, can you go see if, uh, uh, oh, good. Okay, good. Come on out, Mike and Emma. And so it is always right and good to do a baptism on Easter Sunday. And so Mike, having worked Emma through all the processes, is now going to celebrate baptism. Now, a quick word of rehearsal. We're only going to do the one. We're going to have more baptisms on May the 4th. So if you'd like to be baptized or if you'd like to reconfirm, your, reaffirm your baptism, please let us know. But here's what's going to happen. Mike is going to lower Emma into the water identifying her with the death of Christ. 
But then he's going to bring her out of the water, identifying her with the life of Christ, the resurrected life of Christ. When he does, it's our tradition here to kind of hoot and holler, right? You can say amen, you can clap, you can say whatever you want. But please be involved in Emma's transition from death to life. Pastor Mike. One of the greatest uh, honors and pleasures we do have is baptism. And um, Emma is, I think she is, there she is, she's making her way. Um, Emma and uh, six other students have gone through uh, 10 weeks worth of confirmation and baptism classes. And uh, we finished up last week. And because of uh, some scheduling conflicts, we were able to do Emma's baptism today. So uh, we are extremely excited about, about this and uh, the new life. Emma, I have just a couple of questions for you. Um, have you accepted Christ as your personal Savior? Yes. Do you reject evil and turn away from all sin? Yes. Well, Emma, it is my uh, privilege as your pastor to anoint you with oil in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And may God heal you of all sin, evil, and hurt in your life. And at this time, Emma's uh, dad is going to read her statement of faith. Today is the day that my eternal journey is beginning, and I am choosing to walk hand in hand with God. And what better day to be baptized than Easter Sunday? the time when we are celebrating the resurrection of our King. Kind of like Jesus, my journey has been resurrected. Through ups and downs, God always chooses me as I now choose him. Emma's life verse is Isaiah 58, 8, and 9. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for him, and he will say, Here I am. Emma Rose Wright, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God fill you with the fullness of his spirit and give you the strength to walk in his ways all the days of your life. Amen. 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 (laughs) Being Christian is a strange way to be alive at the end of the day. Being baptized is a strange way to be alive at the end of the day, but because It is in the baptismal pool that we say right out loud, we choose to live life as a gift and not a contest. And now we open the altars to pray. Would you stand with me? In Christ alone. Brandon's going to sing again. Uh, Today, I know my favorite song changes day by day, but today this is my favorite one. In Christ alone, these lyrics... 
couldn't be more perfect for this day. The side altars are always open for those who need prayers for healing because, as Mike said in the baptismal pool, sin does damage. And if you need a prayer for healing, someone will meet you here at the side altar or here at the side altar and anoint you with oil and pray that prayer for healing. Perhaps it's a physical, an emotional, relational healing. Healing of any kind is available, and someone will meet you there and pray that prayer along with you. These kneelers here all the way across the front are open for all kinds of prayers, <laughs> and everyone is welcome. Here's what you'll notice. If you come down to pray at one of these altars, you will notice at some point someone will touch you on the shoulder, top of the head. Somehow you will be alerted that you are not alone as you pray. And sometimes that touch can be interpreted and translated as the very touch of God and you will be right. These altars are open for folks who are tired of fearing death. These altars are open for folks who are tired of life being a contest. These altars are open for folks who would really like to live in the light of the resurrection as opposed to the shadow of the cross. These altars are open for you to pray a prayer of thanksgiving if you're already there. To pray a prayer of intercession for someone who really needs to be there. At the end of the day, these altars are open for you to approach the God who so wants to embrace you. So as Brandon sings, I want to invite you to find a place. We'll have a time of prayer, and then we'll move toward the conclusion of our service. you to take a posture of prayer that's most comfortable for you. Some you'll notice will remain standing. Some will kneel where they are in their pews. Others will be seated and they'll pray right then and there. I want you to know if at any point you want to come up front 
and surround someone here. It is entirely appropriate. In fact, if you see someone praying alone, you know it's your responsibility to come and make sure that you and I can mediate grace and communicate the presence of God by a touch. So please come and surround these who pray. Father, we begin with the prayer of confession because though we have heard this story so many times, it still seems very difficult to believe that somehow, God, you would be able to overcome sin and death. Sin and death seem like such constant companions, but God, remind us that you know that better than any. You know that better than all, and in fact, you have suffered the worst that sin and death could do. And yet you have overcome. <laughs> Father, so many of us live afraid to die, afraid to not have enough. So many of us live, God, not aware that life is a gift, but we understand clearly that life is a contest. Father, there is a deathliness to that kind of life, even for those who find their way into the sanctuary on a weekly basis. There is a deathliness to that kind of life that sees life as a contest to be won as opposed to a gift that can be received and celebrated and then given away. Father, for those in the room who feel just like that, would you move especially close to them now? Would you help them to know that there is this distinct possibility that the author of life could in fact be also the provider of that gift, the victor over death and sin, If for you, life is a contest as opposed to a gift. Tell God about that now. Confess it now. God, if need be, romance me again and tell me again that life is a gift from your hands. for those seeking healing. You probably know somebody else that's in need of a prayer for healing. Would you pray that prayer now? Maybe it's a, a relationship that needs to be healed. It certainly could be a body, a mind, or a spirit that needs to be healed. But pray as specifically as you can that the God of life would surprise us with life in a deathly situation now.
Father, more than ever before, may Easter be a season and not a day. God, help us to take full advantage of these several weeks. Help us to be attentive to all the different ways in which we live life as a contest and not as a gift. And may we, for these next several weeks, ingrain habits, the good kind of habits that allow us to receive and then respond to this life as a gift. Distance us, God, from life as a contest. Another way to say it, Lord, is this. Help us to be people who embody this prayer that you taught your disciples to pray so long ago. So I invite you now to pray this prayer along with me. And recognize that as you pray this prayer, slowly but surely it starts to reorganize you and rearrange you. You don't have to believe this prayer from top to bottom to pray it. It is the understanding of God that as you pray it, you give God more and more access to your mind and heart and imagination. And I'm convinced that the more you pray it, the more you'll embody it. So let's pray it together as we close this time of prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Like us on Facebook at Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene. Or follow us on Twitter at OKC First Church.